I'm writing to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. But man, what a snapshot of the gospel is there. So all to say, um, Paul is writing to the saints in Rome. And by the way, this is a good little side application to say that if you ever come across a religion that um, doesn't believe that all Christians are saints or has some system whereby some uh, believers in the religion are exalted to some place where they're now called saints, or if there's some religion where people pray to saints, run, because it is another gospel uh, and is to be anathema. It's very clear from the scriptures that the Bible calls all believers saints. It's very clearly taught. Um, So, all to say, further on in in Romans, in chapter 4, Paul refers to Abraham, the forefather of our flesh. Uh, and so, yes, Abraham is spir- spiritual forefather to everybody, but specifically, Paul is, is writing the book of Romans with a real sense that Jewish readers are going to be paying attention to it. Jewish readers who will know their Old Testament, who will know about Abraham, who will know about uh, Moses, who will know about the covenants, and um, who will know about the prophets, and so on. And so, um, it's clear that he's speaking to uh, uh, with an eye and a heart to Jewish hearers, okay? But in our passage today, he's specifically addressing Gentiles. He says in verse, uh, he says in verse um, 13, now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Seems pretty clear that he's speaking to Gentiles. The last thing that I'll say before I read this passage is that um, what we're about to read picks up on the second half of the verse preceding the passage, okay? So it's important for us to look at that. So go to the second half of verse 16, and then we will understand the passage as we read it. It says, if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now let's read our passage. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree... Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the things that Tammy and I enjoyed so much about our trip to Italy earlier in this summer uh, was kind of the pace of the city. Um, It kind of gets rolling about eight or nine or so, and then when people eat lunch, only the tourists are sitting down eating lunch. Everybody who's really Italian has like a half a sandwich, and they walk with it, and they're all wearing like skinny suits. You could tell who the Italian people are. They're everyone who's thin, and everyone who isn't thin, aside from Asian people, are the tourists. Um, And so the the Italian people walk around with kind of half of a sandwich. That's what they do for lunch, and at 5.30, you know who eats dinner? Nobody. 
in the country eats dinner at 5.30. It's snack time. Dinner's at 8.30 or 9.30 or 10.30. It's super late. But 5.30 is snack time, and you go to snack time, and you sit out on some piazza, and uh, you nurse a Bellini for like an hour and 20 minutes. You don't even care uh, that you're hogging the table. Nobody cares if you hog the table. You have a Bellini or a wine or a water, whatever you want to have, but they bring out some olives. They bring out a bowl of olives. And not just like a couple olives, but I counted them once, 18 big olives. And then a couple crunchy things. And you sit there and you watch people and you watch people play music in the square. And there's always somebody playing Eric Clapton and Lady in Red and Boy George. It's really strange. It's all they're trapped in the 80s, um, American music. But anyway, those olives were awesome. We ate so many olives when we were over there. And they were big, giant green ones. And they're not kind of like the ones you get at, at our supermarket. They're kind of less briny. And uh, they were just so delicious. And then, so as we moved south in Italy, then we started seeing olive trees. Once you know what they look like, you're like, dang, there are olive trees everywhere. I mean, lemon trees are growing everywhere and olive trees are growing everywhere, just all over the hills. And then you see olive groves and they're just so beautiful. And then every once in a while, you'll see like on the side of like the, one of these little roads where two cars can eat, barely get through the buildings, there'll be an olive tree growing right next to the road. Just some seed fell and it's just some wild olive tree. All that to say. Those olives that we had at 5.30 every day were delicious. We loved them. And I think one of the cool things about them is that they were cultivated in the same spot, on the same trees, in the same way, year after year after year. They're cultivated olives. They're not wild olives. They've been cultivated. In fact, it's been estimated they've been cultivated for 6,000 years. So people take a plump one, they take another good plump one, they stick them together, and they keep on however you do that. Uh, They propagate, they husband uh, cultivated olive trees. That is a domesticated, cultivated uh, production of fruit. In contrast, a wild olive tree is more like a a shrub. You know, they're all kind of gnarled roots and stuff, um, trunks. But uh, a wild olive tree uh, has smaller fruit has a larger pit, less flesh on it, so you can have less to eat and you can extract less oil. And um, it's got narrower leaves and a thornier exterior, thorns on it, okay? That's a wild olive tree. The point in all that is to say that in God's holy and righteous opinion, according to this passage, a wild olive tree, uh, a wild olive branch is not a compliment. (laughs) It's not a good thing. Uh, It's not a desirable thing. And the the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he takes the branch of something that's not good and makes it acceptable and grafts it onto a life source, a life system that is good, and it, it changes the, um, it changes the, the poor add-on uh, into something wonderful and noble. So that is true of every believer, ladies and gentlemen. And so if you want to know what the big idea is today, uh, I would say that it is this. There is one salvation, one church, one people, you've been grafted into the root system, that's the life source. And all the branches, all the different people, uh, all the different peoples, um, really people for this, this um, passage, um, uh, all drawing from the same uh, saving source, which is Christ. All right, let's go to our first point, which is this. It's a wild gospel. Uh, look at verse 17. Um, if some of the branches were broken off, um, and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nursing root of the olive uh, tree, do not be arrogant. Now, ladies and gentlemen, straight away, the warning to not be arrogant means that the Gentiles have received something of worth, right? They, they, they realize that they received a great salvation. They're, they're aware of the fact 
uh, that they, they have something of great worth, uh, worth thus uh, the command to not be arrogant toward the other branches. Uh, after all, no one is arrogant unless they possess something that they think uh, can give them power over someone else, right? So um, don't be arrogant because you've received this thing. Uh, but that said, what are they in possession of? Well, in verse 17, it says, um, um, if some of the branches were broken off and you, although you are a wild olive shoot, uh, news, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you're not what everybody's looking for. Uh, you, without a savior, is not someone that God is uh, thrilled with. Um, he sets his love on a person, um, and then if he doesn't, then you're kindling. Um, but a dramatic and extravagant and saving thing has happened, that branches that were wild olive shoots are grafted in among others and now share the nourishing root of the olive tree. Uh, you were chosen in Christ and, and taken and put into his dominion, into his family, into his saving uh, ark, and uh, you share the same life flow uh, with uh, others who know the riches in Christ. And so this has to do with individual believers, this, this idea of the branch and the vines put in there. This is not a nationalistic understanding. We're not to think about Jews and other people groups. We're, we're to think of the, 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 the life-giving roots and Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian being grafted in. Now, um, application for your life. We are grafted in believers, and we share the same benefits as true Israelites. In fact, we are the true Israelites. Those who believe in the Christ are the true Israelites. God set it up. He set it up all through the Old Testament. He, he uh, had a plan, and he carried out that plan throughout the course of human history, even in the course of human folly, even in the course of human opposition, the, the, the opposition of his own people. He forges ahead and provides a salvation, and now the Gentiles can be grafted in. It's it's the same roots, and that is to change um, your entire perspective about the world around you. Not only does it put the world into the two classical categories, which is those who are grafted in and those who aren't, those who are born again and those who aren't, those who are regenerate and those who aren't, those who are elected and those who aren't, those who are made alive, those who aren't. What we see also that we're no more lovely to God except that he has put his grace upon us. You know, I read, uh, who was it? I I can't remember who it was, but I read somebody on this, and he said, you know, there's no uh, reason for grace except grace. It's pretty good, isn't it? Pretty simple. There's no reason for grace except grace. God decided to extend his grace, and he's taken a bunch of wild shoots and grafted them in so that we would understand and enjoy all the benefits of this Messiah that had been promised. So God in Christ in his spirit is the root system administered through Abraham, and God's plan all along was that he would establish his church that Israel would, um, would, would channel down to this this collection now known as the church, really Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All right, our second point. There is only one tree. Look at verse 19. Um, then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. Uh, they were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith, so don't become proud but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. All right, so let's look at that. Um, 
this is a, this is a message to Gentiles, and there are other indications that there may have been a little bit of, um, uh, I mean, you think about it. The Apostle Paul is writing this. Uh, he's Jewish. Um, the Savior is Jewish. The disciples are Jewish. I mean, uh, kind of a big point right there, right? And so why would you be arrogant toward the Jews? Well, it's, it's easy to say things like, even today, it's easy to go, well, you know, if I had heard the prophet of the Lord uh, give the word of the Lord, I would have listened. Uh, really? Um, these, these people had all the advantages. They'd seen God work. They'd seen him in, uh, in might and power. They'd been led uh, through the wilderness wanderings by his very presence. He, he established himself in the midst of the, his worshiping people. Um, they had lots of benefits, and, uh, and uh, they rejected him. Uh, it is only by grace you're saved. Um, and so um, he's saying here, uh, yeah, they didn't believe, but you, you believe, and guess what? That's a gift too. Uh, they were broken off because of unbelief. You stand firm through faith. Those, those are the only two postures of heart, ladies and gentlemen, um, toward the Creator and Savior and God. And so the point is here, it doesn't matter what the physical heritage is. It doesn't matter what the system was that God set up through which the Savior would come. Right? That's what he did. He, he, he found a pagan from the land of Ur the Chaldees. He summoned him. He uh, called him. Um, he um, made it possible for a nation to come from his body and from that nation and from judges and kings and, and messages from the prophets and, and all, all of history. He brings about the Savior that was promised. Um, but he's saying that the only issue is belief. Um, Look at verse 21. We'll talk about this more in a second. But um, it says, For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Um, well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you might read this and you go, well, I get why we shouldn't be proud. But why would should we be scared? Uh, if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. That, that's, that's pretty scary. That, that verse is kind of a shocker to some. But ladies and gentlemen, if you were with us through our study of Hebrews, that idea is not a shocker, is it? Um, if you've um, read Second Peter, uh, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Make your calling, calling and election sure. Um, that's not shocking to uh, that writer, uh, and it's in no way in conflict in the writer here. Um, it's in no way in conflict with what Paul writes in Philippians uh, uh, 1.6, which says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The point is, though, ladies and gentlemen, the only way to be safe, the only way to be saved is to be a branch grafted in and connected to the life source. That's the issue. It's always the issue. Are you connected to the life source? Are you a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ more than just knowing snappy Christian answers and a bunch of jargon? Um, let's go to our last point. We'll talk about this more. The kindness and severity of God. Look at verse 22. Note then, the kindness and the severity of God. That's just a healthy thing for all humans to see. Note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Now, that's a wonderful gospel message, isn't it? Um, you know, it's a scary thought that uh, one might be cut off like an astronaut on a spacewalk. Uh, that, ever, you ever, that, that scare you? You ever think about that? I do. You're out in space and tumbling in space. That's a pretty scary thought. Well, look it. It goes on to say, 
Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Well, that's a scary thought. Ladies and gentlemen, am I safe in Jesus Christ or not? Can can nothing separate me from the love of God in Christ? Or can something? Scary thought, isn't it? Um, I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. Um, The Bible is, is... full of unflinchingly um, healthy warnings. Um, the Bible will say that you're safe in Jesus Christ, that what God has started, he'll, he will surely finish, but then it'll go on to say, make, make, make your calling election sure. Be sure about it. Um, I, I just have a few little illustrations here. I don't know if you remember, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, that kind of Oh Holy Night guy who sings really badly, Oh Holy Night. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, he looks all earnest. It's really, it's really fake. It's fake, all right? But he, he, have you, you know what I'm talking about? He's, oh, holy night, fall on your knees. If you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen it? It's awful. It's awful. And when you first see it, you're like, wow, I can't believe it, blah, blah. You don't realize you're being pranked, really. But it's awful. It's awful. Well, I happen to know, because my brother-in-law is on staff at Bellevue, that a, um, a, a youth minister... always the most sage, in staff meeting, uh, had a funny thing he was going to do at Christmas. And so I don't know, I don't, even, I don't even know what their staff meeting looks like. I'm just picturing ours, okay? So I'm picturing Adrian Rogers at the table with his noble thing and his makeup and everything and just, oh, dear brother. You know, that guy, I don't know what you think of Adrian Rogers, but that guy was a born orator uh, and a giant, giant personality and, uh, and wired to be a pastor, let me tell you. So anyway, there's Adrian Rogers. There's the whole staff. There's the youth minister. And he's put on the Oh Holy Night, and he's pantomiming the thing. And uh, ha, 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 ha. So funny. You know what Adrian Rogers did? <laughs> About an eighth of the way in, he goes, cut it. No, <laughs> we're not going to do that here. It's not funny. You know why it's not funny? because we're talking about holy things. Hey, you know what? High five, Adrian Rogers. Good job. I would have done the same thing. Hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I know it's a funny act, but these are holy things, man. Holy things, not to be made light of. I've got something that you can do every day that you can adjust. Um, stop saying, oh, my God, unless you're praying. In fact, it's even stupid to say, oh, my God. We get what you mean. And I understand that words morph. Words morph, words morph. You know, a golly is a, is a morph. Everything's a morph. Everything. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Takes an attribute of God and does something to it. I get it. Words morph um, and, and all that. But um, if you think God takes, oh, my God, lightly, you are wrong. <laughs> you are wrong. You're breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Um, don't do that. You're taking something that's holy and you're treating it lightly. Here's another one. People who have a very low view of worship. Um, if you have a low view of God's gathered worship, there's ill health in your soul, I'm just telling you. If you don't want to be... It, it, men didn't invent church. It's Christ's church. If you are resistant to being with God's people, if you're resistant to worship, if you're resistant to being in a room full of people who are saying the same thing in the same way, on the same pitch, in adoration of God, you are blowing it. You are making light of holy things. 
Um, holy things are of critical importance uh, to the redeemed heart. Now, why would I be making such, citing, citing such examples? Because, ladies and gentlemen, as we cited many times in our study of Hebrews and in this passage here and what the Scriptures unabashedly proclaim, salvation is permanent and you are secure in Jesus Christ. You are. He's got you. He's gripped you. Nothing can snatch you from the Savior's hand. The question is, though, have you been grafted in? Because many a person hangs around a church and lives in a church and grows up in a church and has their mommy and daddy's religion in a church and it becomes this kind of this, this procedure. You raise your children in the church and then they leave empty nesters. And, and you, 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 know, you have to come to terms with your own, your own belief system. What I'm saying to you is, ladies and gentlemen, have you ever seen somebody that you thought was solid fall away from the faith? Have you? Well, then watch out. That's, that's all this is saying. You're secure, but watch out. Don't treat holy things with disdain or don't be cavalier with them because the issue is whether you were a believer in the first place or not. Now, we move to the last point of this, this text, and there's a little bit of baggage here. Let's look at verse 23. It says, um, even they... Um, this would be the Jews, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. So he's talking to Gentiles, but he's making a reference to the Jews. He's saying, oh yeah, um, true. Um, God had a covenant people. Not all of them believed. Those who were believers in this Yahweh, in this, this, this way of salvation, this Messiah who is, who is coming, who, those who did believe the promise are on the tree. Those who didn't were cut away. You've been grafted in because you believe also, but what he's saying here now is Gentiles, that's not to say that Jewish people who have rejected this Savior cannot be grafted in again. And uh, in fact, he, he even oomps up the point. He says, um, verse 24, think about it. He's going, if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, all right, so you don't fit, but then you're grafted in, and wow, you share the same life source, and you fit in the same flowing sap, and all that stuff is, it, it keeps you alive. Think of how naturally it'll be for a Jewish person to be cut right back in uh, to the tree, because that was the delivery system for the gospel and the Savior, okay? That's, that's the whole point. Now, the, the controversy, not really controversy, but there's, there's, um, there's a lot of, uh, lot of scholarly debate on this. Um, and you, you're probably going to know what I'm going to say, some of you. Sometimes these verses right here are built up into a theology that says that it's kind of romantic. It's kind of like, well, they look at this and they go, well, see, this teaches that all Jews will be brought into the kingdom at the very end. Yay! Let me tell you, that's not what these verses are saying. And this is not even a support for that. That's not even the point. Um, now, listen. I, I love America. I got a flag on our house. We like a flag. Put it up at the end of May. We take it down after 9-11. Love a flag on the house. Do, have, have done it for years. Flags. America. Patriotism. Love it. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, it, uh, as a Jew, maybe, <laughs> as, as, as a, perhaps a bald Jew, let me just tell you, I don't know why a Jewish person would vote for anybody that wasn't pro-Israel. <laughs> Do you? 
I'm like, right, wake up. Are you people insane? I mean, one, one political system like cherishes Israel and wants to preserve her, and the other one's like, eh, they're the bad guys. Why would you vote? Uh, anyway, all that to say, um, I think it's ridiculous and irresponsible to use this passage as some, to suggest some kind of sweeping salvation of the Jews. I mean, go to Revelation for that if you like, but not here. It, it simply goes beyond the text. Um, the point is, if a wild shoot can be grafted in, how, much, how natural would it be for a Jew to go, oh, wait a minute, I'm Jewish, I, I know the Torah, uh, I, uh, this all makes sense because Jesus is the Messiah. That's what this is saying. All right, Israel, behold your Christ. All right, so, application for your life. Um, to be grafted into the life-giving source um, afforded by the Savior is to be humbled, it's to be awed, it's to live your life in spiritual care, it's to live in spiritual fellowship, it's to live in accountability one with another, it's to live in humbled worship. That's what it is to be brought into this, this, this life, and it's a concern for a lost world, whomever they may be. All right, I will close with this illustration, and it's from, it's from Gumbo Wednesday night, and um, so it was five sisters. It was really cool. It was five sisters, one I'd never met before. I interviewed all four of them on Monday night in the conference room, and then the fifth one came in. She didn't go to church here, and so she popped in, and it was just a pleasure. And oh, by the way, we made sure that they each, we were going to pass a microphone around, you know, because we didn't have enough mics, but after witnessing how they communicate, it's like one starts a sentence, the other one's in on it, the next one's in on it, and you're just, you know, as a, as a man, you're like, you know, what's going on? But um, I wanted to make sure that they were all live the whole time, and it worked so awesome. But anyway, one of the, in my view, one of the high points was Trisha Granger. Um, they, she, she and Ben Granger uh, adopted a little African-American, is it boy? Girl. Girl. Well, I don't know if you've seen a picture of this little child, but just so cute. I mean, so cute, so big-eyed and the cute little hair and, and all that stuff. And, and um, she said just that I thought it was so interesting. She said, we've adopted this child, and they have a really open adoption and everything with the birth mother and everything, but she said, we adopted this child. But she said, I look at this baby, and I feel like I've physically given birth to her. I feel like I've done it. You know, feel like you've gone through the process, maybe that's not, but I think she's saying it's as if my body birthed this child and what I feel toward this child is that. And I I just go, oh, it's just such a gospel-rich illustration, isn't it? I mean, I've said this before, and it might be mildly inaccurate, but I don't know if it is, but there's a real sense, ladies and gentlemen, in which Every single believer, Jew or Gentile, has been grafted in (laughs) because all of us were dead in our transgressions and sins. Oh, yes, I know God has laid the tracks, and he's he's used uh, the the vehicle of the nation Israel to bring about a Savior. I'm not saying that, but there's a real sense in which we were all wild, and we were all lost, and we were all cut off. Let's just say that. We were all cut off, and God has uh, brought us unto life, and uh, the way he feels toward us. Uh, we who have been uh, brought from death to life is like adopted sons and daughters. When he looks at you, he rejoices over you. His heart is happy. He's not a frowning God. He's a pleased God who sees the righteousness of Jesus. Um, and it's as if um, the garden had never been violated. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great salvation. It is uh, the mystery of the gospel, why you would have proceeded to save sinners, but you have, and you've shown that mystery. You've made it known to the the, uh, rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms that uh, you have flung a giant universe into place, uh, unspeakably large, um, expanding, and yet there's this pale blue dot on which live sinners who rejected you, and you sent your regal son to dwell on that planet in human form and lay his life down for sinners. What a thought, God. What an extravagant um, demonstration of grace that would cause all of the heavenly hosts to wonder, uh, why would you suffer long? Why would you extend grace? Why does your mercy care about the pain sin causes? We thank you that that's a reality, Lord, and we pray that we would not only be uh, convinced of our being grafted into this great life, but that you would still our souls and um, uh, give us confidence at the same time, Lord. Um, give us a healthy dose of fear. Let us not take holy things for granted. Let's, let us not um, ignore the means of grace by which our souls are buffeted in the knowledge of our salvation. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you. Richard Loom, thanks, dude. Oh, did he? Good. Yeah, man. Rocket. Yeah. He is a good guy. He's what you think of when you think of a pastor. Same mind.